0: Listening to a Drishti Point podcast? Please visit our website for more inspiring interviews on yoga, spirituality, and wellness. Welcome to Drishti Point. Today is a special podcast, and here with us today is Heather and Benji Wertheimer of the Kirtan Duo Shantala, and they lead kirtan worldwide. And we're just here in Vancouver for a concert, and we'll be back again in August. And also joining us is Steve Gorn, a Grammy-winning musician who plays the Bansuri flute. So welcome. Thank,
1: Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Happy to Pleasure be here. To be here.
0: <laughs> I thought I would start, actually, Heather, there was something you mentioned at the concert last night that really touched me, and I thought you could, we could start off by talking about it. You mentioned the um, chanting of mantra and kirtan as a place of refuge for you. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about, a little more about what that's meant for you in your personal life.
2: Sure. What I, what I found in this practice is that I, I find originally that I come into it with expectations sometimes or pressures on myself about how I should be a certain way or that I should be a spiritually evolved person or that I don't like what I'm thinking and feeling. And so what I do is I enter the process of the practice And I just try to make room for everything inside me. And even though some of the things that I'm thinking and feeling may not go away or dissolve, there's a way that I step into wholeness with myself, where I feel at peace with myself and all of the different ingredients and the different components inside me. And then I feel like I can enter kind of a refuge where every part of myself can be welcome. And then I just go through the practice and it brings me whatever gifts it's going to bring me that day. And, uh,
0: you know, when you mentioned uh, all the parts of yourself, so d- is, it, um, is it a practice that you rely on in, in especially the difficult times that maybe you have, um, um, you know, an inner turbulence inside or, or things that you're struggling with? Is it a practice that you turn to at those times?
2: Yes, in a way I, I don't see my practices as all that separate because I also have a really um, consistent meditation practice, and chanting is part of that meditation practice, too. So so it's hard for me to kind of separate out the different practices. But but so in my, my home life, I do a lot of meditation and also some chanting. And then when we're doing kirtan, I end up getting to do a whole lot more chanting. And I, I actually really do enjoy chanting on my own, but there's something with the group that, that has a whole other dimension to it for me. And so... You know, our lifestyle can be pretty challenging when we're traveling so much. And But I just find night after night as we begin to do our kirtan practice with the group that something opens up every day. And there's a little bit more room for more and more love, more joy, more peacefulness uh, every day that we do it.
0: You know, one thing that um, I'd love all of you to talk about is... Um, because you mentioned meditation also as part of your practice, the, the silence at the end of the kirtan, at the end of a chant, the, the maybe we can say the shunya, mm-hmm. it's um, so beautiful. And I'm wondering maybe if you can speak a little bit about, about that also.
1: Well, one thing that, that comes to mind for me, um, and again, um, meditation exists side by side in my life with this practice. Is this recognition that the silence, in a sense, if you were to map it back to the meditation world, is a sort of ground of our being, this infinite source of the ground of being. And from that silence, like an ocean, these individual waves will come up. Those waves might be each and every one of us as our individual beings, but also the mantras, they come out like that and they they reflect a particular part of that infinite whole and then recede back into it. so, on one level, it's sort of like you're getting into this active thing, like turbulence of an ocean, that is happening in the chant, and then at the end, when it gets very quiet, it's very, very still, very sweet, and you're able to just kind of dive infinitely inward, even as you've been going so far outward as everybody's mm-hmm. chanting ecstatically together. So it's a very sweet kind of balance. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. What would you say, Steve?
3: Well, you know that uh, in Indian classical music, there's this wonderful expression, the ocean of sound, and of course, sound really means sound and silence, so that, as in meditation, you're, um, there's a sense of stillness that can can be the um, that can arise as something kind of settles. It's really like a pond. Just settling the mind settles, and to be to be in that space of stillness is um, uh, really an interesting place, because sometimes our mind wants more activity, and it's actually an excellent op- it's an excellent moment to just fathom the nature of mind. I really like it from that point of view. I guess the last that I might add is that
1: m- many people who are drawn to yoga, their initial contact is with the asana in hatha yoga. And there's a very, very special thing that can happen, maybe after a very vigorous yoga class, at the end, when people are in shavasana.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's in that time that they're able to fully imbibe all the fruits of the entire mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. And for me, the silence at the end of the kirtan is very much like
2: Yeah, there's an integration that happens in shavasana mm-hmm. and the yoga, in the silence between the chants. I often find that the silence after a chant is so sweet and so deep, and I don't want to talk or, or say anything for a long time. I just want it to go on forever. <laughs> and uh, then we, we do move on to the next thing. But it's so rich, those moments. Mm-hmm. You can really feel the impact of the chant in those silent mm-hmm. moments.
0: You know, I, um something I've been thinking about lately, and maybe you having sung kirtan and mantra for so long, maybe you'll be able to shed light on this. I've often wondered, when we sing to the quality of a deity in a mantra, are we singing to something outside of ourselves, mm-hmm. or are we evoking that quality inside of ourselves? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm wondering if you, you know, have mm-hmm. had any insight about what is actually happening when we practice singing these qualities.
2: I, I tend not to think of singing to a specific deity for a specific result or a specific quality necessarily. Um, I do think that sometimes singing mantras can bring a quality that you might say would be connected with that deity. But um, I tend to think um, more in terms of singing to the supreme consciousness of the universe and the supreme love of the universe. And I really think of them as all being connected. And um, so I try not to really put limits or constraints on the particular mantra that we're singing for what it should be yielding mm-hmm. or what result I wanted to have. Mm-hmm. I really think of all of this as opening ourselves up into love, just opening up the heart, mm-hmm. and opening up into a greater field of consciousness to experience. And, and um, I do think it's interesting. I think of it as singing inside myself and also singing out. I think that they're all connected. It's really all the same fabric, Mm-hmm. But, but we just experience it in different ways at different times that are helpful for us. So sometimes it will help me to sing out, to call out to somebody or something else. Mm-hmm. And then there are some times when I'm really kind of singing to myself or um, to my own heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there's so much possibility. It can, it can be so many different things. And I love that. It's limitless. And anybody can, can um, sing or chant in any way that they need in that moment. And it's all correct, and it's all meaningful.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah, I find you know in the particular mantras, and also with the the musical component, in each of those worlds, there are all of these different layers of experience, and um, you know everything as we were talking about a moment ago, from the silence to all these different expositions of notes. But how do those notes notes take shape? Do they unfold slowly? Do we go into a higher pitch? Do we stay lower? Um, is it rhythmically very active, or is it something that starts to sort of be settling and centering? Um, And many of these are components, of course, in the Indian classical music of what happens with raga and tala, you know, the way the melody and the rhythm will come together, to bring about a very particular kind of mood. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that might be related to a principle that is represented Mm -hmm. by a deity, for example. And in fact, Mm -hmm. many of the ragas even have the names of the deities associated with them. When that comes into play with the mantra, because both the raga system and the Sanskrit language are really sciences of sound, in a sense. And in the Raga, you're bringing about a very particular set of elements to bring about a time of day mood or a seasonal mood or one of our emotional states. All of these different things can be beautifully represented and brought into the heart and mind of the listener and the player simultaneously. So again, it's inside and outside. And in Sanskrit, a lot of the development of the language came about as a means of focusing our essential life energy, the pranic energy that might, in other traditions, be known as ki or chi. And that by articulating these mantras, aside from, say, a deity that might be part Mm -hmm. of the mantra, you have a way that you're focusing the pranic energy inside Mm -hmm. very sweetly. And then, of course, as we're singing
3: outside, we're sharing it with
1: each other. So it's a beautiful balance to me.
3: Wow, that's a beautiful description of that. Uh, Because as you were saying that, I was thinking about rasa. Mm. You know, a ras... Mm-hmm. in the indian sense where where there's a a flavor or a mood that's evoked and when i think about the um, sequence of chants mm-hmm. that will be in, in your program each one evokes a different rasa mm-hmm. and of course you know to sing to krishna is very different than to sing to shiva mm-hmm. in in just mm-hmm. that way mm-hmm. so that uh, and i think we have a wonderful intuitive way to let the um, the musical element uh, support and and really um, allow the, um, the the rust, the flavor, the a um, quality of devotion of a particular piece to uh, take its own shape mm-hmm. makes one different from another in a wonderful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
2: and each chant has its own energetic quality, so we really want to move through an energetic flow in the whole mm-hmm. of the kirtan.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. so
2: we we do our sequencing that way with that in mind
0: well speaking of that i was um i, I was really touched when you end with a, a chant to hanuman mm-hmm. and i'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about what quality that evokes <laughs> and how beautiful that is
1: well there are many many things that that come to mind um one of the ways that Hanuman speaks to me is, is this absolutely exquisite representation of the infinite ocean of love that is at the center of the universe. And it's expressing in Hanuman through a desire, a burning desire to serve. Mm-hmm. And that I think all too often when we think of our small S selves, you know, the, the, the smaller versions of ourselves, we think we have to accomplish this, we need to do this, that, and the other thing for ourselves when actually our greatest calling and our greatest potential for power comes about when we focus how we can serve, how we can be a conduit for a greater power. And I think Hanuman is an endless reminder of that. In all the stories around Hanuman, you see that what he is able to accomplish, he has powers that he had forgotten he possessed until he focuses himself, for example, in the Epic in the Romayana, on reuniting the couple of Sita and Ram. And when he does that, all these cities, all these magical, incredible abilities manifest within him. And it's a beautiful metaphor for what we can do within ourselves. So that's a big part of it for
3: me.
2: And, and for me also, I've been very um, in love with the great Indian saint, Neem Karoli Baba, and the Hanuman chant. He, he was said to be an incarnation of Hanuman. And so for me, the Baba Hanuman chant is especially meaningful because I associate it with him.
0: You know, when you... Um mention that story about him, I'm hoping you can share it, the, the story you mentioned last night, because it was so beautiful, and um, I would love for our listeners to hear that story.
1: Sure. Um, I think the, the story we're referring to is about our friend yes. Patrick Hammond. That's right. Uh, who's just a wonderful author and uh, songwriter and uh, bass player. He frequently plays with Krishna das on bass, and we were lucky enough to have him join us on a spring tour we did in the western states of the U.S. And... Um, he told us a story of how he had been in a very, very bad car accident. I mean, the car had rolled several times. Uh, In the aftermath of that accident, he was hospitalized for quite a while, and there were, I think, two or maybe three different surgeries. You know, it was just very, very intense. Not too long after his initial hospitalization, he went back to what was left of his car, just to see if there was anything in there that he had forgotten. And he told us the story of how, The moment he first saw what was left of the car, this question just hit him full in the chest. Why am I still here? How could I have survived? And, you know, it just looked like this horrible mass of twisted metal. He imagined himself in there. How could it possibly be that I lived through this? And this question would emerge and reemerge in these different forms in his mind. And then he told us when he reached behind the passenger seat of the car, he pulled out a book that was about this great saint, Niproli Baba the title of which was By His Grace. So for him, that was so clear, because he had such a strong connection through Krishnadas, by extension through Maharaji. You know, it was, it was just a, a very powerful thing. And Patrick is the kind of person who really, really wants to give back. And he has a beautiful service orientation that he uses in his Tibetan Buddhist community in Colorado as well that really drives him to do a lot of wonderful things. And in this case, it drove him to write the chant that we sing mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>, that's <good. laughs> Babaji, which is the beloved baba who's the manifester of miracles the miracle in this case of him surviving that accident
0: i love that story i think um, I, I don't get tired of hearing stories like that
1: <laughs> well you know there's a little bit of a there's a there's a little bit of a sequel to that story for heather and myself now because we both feel very strongly that me and Crowley Baba was a major factor in our surviving the accident that prematurely ended our fall tour this last year. Our van was totaled, unfortunately, when we hit a deer in the middle of almost, I mean, pretty much nowhere South Dakota. We had to be towed a 100 miles to the nearest town to give you an idea how much in the middle of nowhere we were. And um, we just, I think Heather, as the driver, opened herself up to this guidance that really feels like exactly that same energy of Maharaji, and I think we too feel like we're here by that grace <laughs>
2: I've created him all the time when we're in the car <laughs> all the time
0: I, w- I was gonna ask you actually if you can speak about um, Grace and the unfolding of grace in your lives as you've made a commitment to this practice of kirtan and this commitment to
2: being of service Well, Benji and I had a really different plan for our lives. (laughs) We got married um, kind of later than most people, and we were planning to settle down and have a family, and um, he was going to work at a job, and I probably was too, again, after a while. And so we kind of put this thing in motion, what do we want to do before we have children and settle down? And um, for me it meant finishing a master's degree and finishing my, my first song CD. And but I was also teaching yoga. I taught yoga part time for ten years, and when I my teacher John Friend came to Portland, Oregon, we brought Benji to class, and he played a shavasana at the end of the class, and you know everybody was pretty much blown away by it, and it, it led to this series of events where um, Benji released his first esraj CD. And um, Krishnadas heard that CD and invited Benji to come record at his Breath of the Heart recording, which is where he and Steve Gorn met. <laughs> and then um, Krishnadas asked Benji to sometimes kind of fill in and playing tabla for him on tour. And um, then we ended up being at a lot of yoga gatherings and were invited to play for Shavasana. And people started just asking us to chant. And um, I had had a little chanting experience in my time um, associated with the yoga community, which is a long time, since 1986, actually. And, um, but it was kind of a new world for me. And so we just stepped in and um, honored people's requests, and they took us places like Costa Rica and Mexico and uh, Europe, and we just ended up doing this, um, being on the road chanting. It was totally unexpected. Shit, no, no. And, and to me, that was a That's complete uh, movement of grace in our lives, and I have I have felt that. Um, you know, we've been traveling and leading Kirtan now for ten years since that time, all the time. Maybe it's eleven years now, mm-hmm. and um, we have uh, grace-filled times every day, mm. and also moments, you know, intense <laughs> moments like the car accident that are still somehow mm-hmm. seem full of grace.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're still here. That's, that's grace. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of interesting. It wasn't like we sat down at our dining room table one day and said, Hey, honey, I have a great idea. Let's throw all our instruments <laughs> in the sound system and our dog in the car and, and our, our friends. Our <laughs> <grandparents> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> just travel around leading people in Kirtan. You know, but we were called to do it and it was, you know, we we're being invited to do it by, by grace. And sometimes, even in, in Western traditions, grace is sometimes defined as that. Which comes to you effortlessly, without you necessarily having to do something to deserve it, or you know, and it, these things that come and manifest in our lives, and what's incumbent upon us is to meet that grace, you know, with our own intention, with maybe our own best efforts. This doorway opens. One of the ways that people sometimes express it is that the winds of grace are always blowing, but you have to open your sails.
3: Mm. <laughs>
2: I find, too, that for myself, I'm associated with my guru, Ninkurali Baba, that there are these just little crazy synchronicities that happen all the time. I've had some really powerful dreams. And just, well, I'll give you one example. We were at the Bhakti Fest spring gathering in Joshua Tree, last April, I think it was. And we arrived the first night, and we were listening to Jayu and kind of out dancing under the stars. And I realized I was getting sick. I'd been staying all week with somebody who was really sick, but I thought I'd already been exposed to that virus. And when I got to the festival, I'm like, I was really going down fast and hard with it. We were supposed to be on stage Sunday, and so it was Friday night, and I was laid out Saturday all day. And I was really sick Saturday. I'm like, how am I ever going to get on stage Sunday? So, you know, I was just kind of desperately praying, which is what I do when I feel desperate. <laughs> 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 praying to Maharaji, and, and it was really crazy. That was the day that, so um, we have a little a, a renovation that we were doing in our house, and there is an altar to Maharaji with his picture that was being constructed. And my friend was building it, who lived 100 miles away from our house. Well, that Saturday was the day that he drove to our house put up the altar, put Maharaji's picture there, took a picture on his iPhone and sent it to me. So that's Saturday night. I'm like in bed all day, sick, praying, you know, bombed out. And all of a sudden I pick up my phone and there's Maharaji's picture on my telephone right <laughs> that day at that moment. And
0: I'm like, <laughs> and I just knew it was going to be
2: okay, you know. And it was. It was the next day, somehow, my friend was sick all week in bed, but I went through it in one day. And that Sunday, I was up on stage, and it was fine. So was just these little things happen, and to me, that's the movement of grace in my life too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Steve,
0: do you have any any things you'd like to share about?
3: I think that um, having studied uh, Indian classical music for many many years now, in mostly in India um but i think what i'm going to say is something that benji would totally agree with the generosity of our teachers is um just uh, extraordinary you know, you know you know you must know in the um, in the bodhisattva path like generosity is the stairway to success you know and the press and the, what does it say It's the um uh, uh it's unlimited you know, it's mm-hmm. just there's a what what I feel I've received from people has been so um, just un, unconditional um, and and so unending mm-hmm. that it just inspires one to kind of continue mm-hmm. and sort so to give give more give back mm-hmm. so and I think that's one of the greatest things I've learned about that from that music. Mm-hmm.
0: That's beautiful, infinite. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, the prospe-
3: it's, what is it? The, the, the prosperity of the Bodhisattva is inexhaustible. Mm.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs>
0: um, do you have any... I know you probably love all of them, all of the mantras you sing, but do you have any favorites or ones that are particularly dear to your heart?
1: Mm. Mm. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, and one of them, too, uh, I mean, interestingly, it's a history. This is a mantra that was often freely shared because, as you probably know, a lot of times in the guru-disciple tradition, part of the transmission that would happen in, in Shaktipat, it was giving a secret mantra to somebody. But this was kind of outside of that realm. It was a great mantra that anybody could gain benefit from. And it's very easy, of course, for people to pick up. And it has tremendous power. One of my favorite translations of the mantra is I honor the God inside myself and in all things. And that mantra is Om Namah Shivaya. Mm. Om Namah Shivaya. It's a very beautiful mantra. For me, also one that's very close to my heart because Saraswati is the goddess with whom I feel this great resonance because she's the goddess of learning and the arts and philosophy, the voice, but especially of, of music. and That flow of creativity um, is. Om, I am Saraswatiya Namaha. Mm. Just offering myself completely to that energy. And again, it's an invitation for me to open my sails so that I might receive her grace mm. as I'm trying to share the music with people.
2: I go through different cycles. Um, I think that, that whatever phase I'm going through in my life, the different mantras and different chants will speak to me at different times. I love, right now I really love singing to Maharaji and I also... Um, I love singing Hare Krishna right now. I just have different different times in my life, different stages. And there have been times in my life where I love singing Ma chants. Mm. I just love the sweetness and the nurturance of that. And a little maybe of the unconditional kind of lovingness that I can
0: experience. One of my favorites that you guys sing is the Purnamada.
3: Mmm.
0: I love that oh. one. It's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah.
3: That's when I fell in love with these guys. Because <laughs> that was the first recording I did with them.
2: Oh. Mm-hmm.
3: And, and just oh. to enter the sweetness and the sense of, of just pure love of that piece. I mean, that's, mm. that is a gem. Oh. It's really a gem.
0: I play all the time on Drishti Point. I hope our listeners don't get tired of it, because I <laughs> definitely don't. It's so nice. Yeah, that was really beautiful. Um, is there anything that you'd like to maybe say to people who are students of yoga or teachers of yoga about the practice of bhakti, the practice of um, service, the practice of all, all that's contained in what you do mm. on a regular basis to inspire people about yeah, to inspire people.
2: Well, I would, I would describe what we're doing in Kirtan as a yoga practice, like, you know, the other practices, except that we're using the vehicle of our voice and the mantras. And to me, um, I've been a long-time asana practitioner, as well as doing meditation, and I find that with Kirtan and chanting mantras, I get a special heart dimension that opens up in my practice. Mm. And um, to me, that's why I would choose to do that in addition to all the other practices.
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, one of the things that I, I certainly notice uh, is that when you speak of yoga to people in Western culture, they almost always immediately go to asana. They okay. think of asana because that is what seems to have mostly been drawn into our culture here in the West. Um, but yoga is such a multifaceted thing, and there are many paths of yoga, especially we go back to the root meaning of this this union of path to union with the ultimate essence that is at the core of the practice and uh, i think for somebody who loves asana it's a wonderful way to broaden deepen that practice and incorporate other things my very first yoga was at the feet of my teachers in indian classical music both of whom at some level recognized it as the practice of nada yoga or shabda yoga the the yoga of sacred vibration and sound and a way to come in contact with that element of the universe, which is, at its very essence, vibration, by gaining mastery over these musical expressions of those vibrations. And that Nada Yoga comes together so beautifully with a yoga that really is about a complete and total surrender to love, Bhakti Yoga. And when Bhakti Yoga and Nada Yoga come together in this kirtan, I mean, it, it aligns us vibrationally, it opens our hearts beautifully, It can facilitate many things that I think people are after in asana, and just really,
3: really enhance the overall experience of their yoga. So the only thing to add to that is the sense that it's a group experience. Mm -hmm. There's a sangha element Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not on a solo journey, Mm -hmm. and the chants really remind you of our um, how how we all are. You know, the same stuff. We're made of the same (laughs) stuff. And and what we have in common is more than what differentiates us. Mm.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here mm-hmm. on Drishti Point. and uh, we look forward to seeing you again in Vancouver, and hope that it will be a regular stop in your in your travels. And uh, we will definitely um, let people know about the event on August eighteenth. Thank, thank, thank
3: you. Thank you. Thank you, Garros.
0: Thank you for listening to Drishti Point. We dedicate our efforts to the health and happiness of our listeners and for the health and happiness of all living beings.